Go ahead and be seated. Thank you so much for being with us at Journey. If you have your Bibles, we are in Matthew chapter 13. Matthew chapter 13 is where I'd love for you to turn, reach inside your bulletin and pull out your notes. If you're watching online, we have nearly a thousand people who stream our church online every Sunday. So if you're one of those, thanks for hanging out with us at church, wherever you are. I hope you can grab your phone or your Bible and open to Matthew chapter 13. You say, I I, I don't have a Bible. I'm not really a church person. Everything uh, that we read will be on the screen. So you'll be able to follow along. If we can help you get a Bible or help you find one um, that you can understand well, we would love to do that. We have had an unbelievable week at youth camp. You saw just kind of one of the edges of it today on the stage. Last Sunday, I sat in this room with about 60 of our leaders, and I said, guys, we have three goals for camp. We have three targets that we are aiming at as a church. Target number one is spiritual movement. We can't do that. We can't produce that. All we can do is see it and celebrate it, but let's pray that God moves our kids, every one of them, even if it's only a half step forward, let's pray that God moves our kids forward. I told them our second target was relational connection, love students well. That was something that we were in charge of. We saw that happen all week long for God. And then our prayer was that the kids as they left camp would have some clear action steps for how they could grow closer to God and have impact for God and that they would ask us to help them with those. And we saw that in incredible ways. 30 first-time spiritual decisions, 40 documented spiritual recommitments, Christian kids that said, I'm not living like a Christian kid and I need to come back to God spiritually. 23 kids that were already baptized in the ocean on Thursday between thunderstorms that were moving in and out of the area. We've got a few more in our 11 o'clock service. And maybe the thing I'm most excited about, 30 kids who said, I believe God is calling my heart and drawing my heart into full-time ministry. I told our students on Thursday, my primary responsibility as the pastor of this church is to replace myself and our staff in 25 years and hand it over to a group of people who are as called and as passionate and as equipped and trained and experienced as we are. And I said, I know God is calling some of you to be our replacements in the future. And we had 30 kids from sixth grade to 12th grade saying, I I think God wants me to to forego everything in my life and to go into full-time ministry. We have some seniors that just graduated who are going to change where they're going to college because they think God wants them to be a missionary or a pastor or a children's pastor uh, or a student pastor. It was the greatest week of camp that our church has ever had, and we hope it's going to lead to a tremendous summer. 2019 for us is going to be a summer of hanging out with Jesus, kind of like a camp out. We're going to travel along on the hillsides of Galilee and of Judea with Jesus, and all summer long for 12 weeks, we're just going to listen to him tell stories that teach us spiritual things. They're called parables. We're in a series called the parables of Jesus. We're in the second week. Last week, we said a parable was this. In case you were not here, a parable is made up of two Greek words, parabalo, that means to throw or lay or place alongside of for the purpose of comparison. Jesus would often teach very difficult spiritual things to understand by giving a picture of something that somebody else could see. So last week he compared the kingdom of God, hard to explain to a mustard seed that everyone in Israel could see, touch, feel, and understand. And he said, these things that you understand about the mustard seed are how I want you to understand what God is doing in the world. We said a parable is an earthly story that is revealed to have a spiritual meaning for those who will seek out the deeper meanings to it. The Old Testament 45 times said that the Messiah, the Savior, would teach in parables to distinguish between those who were listening with their hearts and those listening with their heads. Uh, The Old Testament said the Messiah would teach in parables because people who were just listening with their heads but didn't really care would let it go in one ear and out the other, but people listening with their hearts would have to follow up with questions and say, tell me more, show me more, help me understand what that 
that means. So parables became kind of Jesus' spiritual stethoscope to see who would come up to him after a message and say, tell me more about that and how that applies to my life. Jesus told parables all throughout the New Testament. We are studying those this summer. Last week was the parable of the mustard seed. Today is the parable of the wheat and the weeds. Last week, parable of the mustard seed. Today, the parable of the wheat and the weeds. Every time I read the word of God, I pause and ask God to speak to me from the words of these pages that we believe were inspired by the Holy Spirit for our hearts. So can we do that together? Would you just bow your heads where you are? Would you take a deep breath and just try to, for the next maybe 25 minutes, put everything that's on your mind out of your mind and just open up your heart? And would you whisper this prayer from your heart to heaven? Would you ask God to speak to you? And would you tell him that you will listen? Ask God to speak to you. Ask him to help you learn how to water the good seeds in your life and protect against the bad ones. God, that's our prayer today in the parable of the wheat and the tares of the wheat and the weeds. Show us how to water the good seeds in our life and protect against the bad ones influencing us in negative ways spiritually. That's our prayer. Speak to our hearts, Lord. We ask these things in Jesus' name and everyone said, amen. Matthew chapter 13, we're going to start in verse 24. If you have some strings, you might keep Matthew 13 marked in your Bible. We're going to be back there next week in the parable of the sower on Father's Day. But today we're in verse 24 and it says this, Jesus told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field, but while everyone was sleeping, his enemy came And sowed weeds among the wheat, and then he went away. When the wheat sprouted and formed heads, then the weeds also appeared. The owner's servants came to him, and they said, Sir, didn't you sow good seed in your field? Where did the weeds come from? An enemy did this, he replied. The servants asked him, Do you want us to go and pull them up? No, he answered, because while you are pulling the weeds, you may uproot the wheat with them. Let them both grow together until the harvest at that time. I will tell the harvesters, first collect the weeds and tie them in bundles to be burned and then gather the wheat and bring it into my barn. I have two goals today that I want to teach you to hang on to from today's parable. Goal number one is I want to teach you how to water wheat. I want to teach you how to water the wheat in your own life spiritually, the good things that God is doing. And then number two, I want to teach you how to protect the promise, how to be aware of the weeds and how to manage those. I want to teach you to water wheat and protect the promise. If you're here and you say, I'm a parent whose student just came home from youth camp and they really are passionate about God spiritually, Christian, what should I do? Water the wheat, protect the promise. You say, well, I'm a, I'm a parent of a child who didn't go to camp. My kids are really, really young, but I want my kids to, to grow up to follow God and to love God. What do I do? Learn how to water the wheat, learn how to protect the promise. You might say, I'm a teacher, I'm a coach, I have spiritual influence over people. How do I help them get the best out of who God has called them to be? Learn how to water the wheat, learn how to protect the promise. You might say, I'm a small group leader. And my prayer for our small group this year is that the people in it would kind of grow spiritually. How do I do that as a small group leader? Learn how to water wheat, learn how to protect the promise. You might say, I'm a business owner and I want to get the best out of my people spiritually. What do I do? Learn how to water the wheat and learn how to protect the promise. Those are the two goals today. We're going to do that by looking deeper into this parable. And we're going to ask two questions. What is this parable and what's the point? What's the parable? What's the point? Question one, what's the parable? What's the parable? Today's parable lays two things side by side to compare them to each other. Letter A, the kingdom of heaven. Jesus says the kingdom of heaven. Last week, Mark called it the kingdom of God. Say, what is the kingdom of God? What is the kingdom of heaven? It's what God is doing in the world. 
Probably more importantly, it's what God is doing in your heart. The kingdom of heaven is God's spirit in you. It's the spirit of God maturing in you so the spirit of God can be seen in our world. Jesus is going to compare the kingdom of heaven to a field that is filled with wheat and weeds. Last week, he compared it to a mustard seed. He showed us a picture of what it looks like and how it grows. This week, he says, you also need to know, spiritually speaking, the kingdom of heaven in you is like a field that is filled with wheat and weeds. We're going to look at five parable parallels. The kingdom of heaven is like the field this way so that we can learn some things spiritually. What we learn about this farmer planting seeds and how it teaches us about God planting seeds in us, we learn five spiritual pictures. Number one, we see this. Every time God is at work in our lives, so is our spiritual enemy. What does this parable teach us? First and foremost, as we lay these two stories side by side, we learn that every time God is at work in our life, so is our spiritual enemy. When your heart is soft enough for seeds to be planted by God, God said Satan will be working too. Jesus said at the exact same time. I don't always know when Satan is working in our church. I know he was working last week. You say, how do I know that? Because God was working. And Jesus says, here's what you need to understand about the kingdom of heaven. Every time God is working, the enemy is right there and he's working too. Martin Luther, the great reformer, said it this way. Every time God builds a church, Satan builds a chapel right next door. That was based on Matthew chapter 13. Jesus said, when God really begins to sow seeds in your life, the enemy's right there too. If, if you're here and you say, I feel like God is really moving in my life, the enemy is right there too. Jesus says that um, every time God is at work in our lives, so is the spiritual enemy. We also learn this, pretty interesting, number two, both God and Satan work by sowing seeds in our lives. I've never seen God strike anyone with a lightning bolt and make them look like Jesus overnight, and I've never seen Satan invite anyone to hell. Jesus plants seeds that eventually, as they grow, help you look more like Jesus. And Satan plants seeds with the intention that you don't know where they're leading, but as that grows, that grows to a doorway to hell. Jesus rarely strikes you with lightning so you look like him in a moment. Satan rarely says, do you want to go to hell? But they are both planting seeds to take you to those places. Both God and Satan work by sowing seeds in our life, which tells us, number three, that spiritual growth takes great time, starts as a seed, needs time to grow, but seeds also need great care. It takes great time. It demands great care. It doesn't happen overnight. So our perspective and our purpose, those of us who are Christians, those of us who are trying to lead teenagers who are Christians, has to be this. This is going to be a long road spiritually. We're going to have to be engaged for a really long time spiritually. We're going to have to have a strategy that takes place over decades, not years, to walk with our kids spiritually. And that means this. We have to learn how to manage the weeds that are always there so they don't prevent the wheat from bearing fruit. We have to learn to manage the weeds so that they don't prevent the wheat from bearing fruit. I wish we could just pull them out, but Jesus says, no, those things are going to grow together until the end of time. But here's what you need to understand. This is actually a really, really, this is actually a really helpful, a really encouraging point for Christians. Every Christian I know has something in their life spiritually they wish wasn't there. One day God's going to remove it. One day God's going to remove it and it'll go away forever. This parable also refers to a church that has people who are Christians and those who look like Christians, but really there's nothing on the inside. We should be encouraged to know one day day God is going to take care of that too. But God doesn't tell us to focus on that. God doesn't say sit in church and try to figure out whose heart is full and whose heart is empty. God says, you grow. 
Your job is to grow. My job is to sort. And one day I'll sort all the bad in you. I'll take it out. And in your eternal life, you won't have any of that sin nature left. And I will take care of everyone in the church who looks like they love Jesus, but they really don't. That's my job. Your job is to grow. So we learn number five, we have to trust that one day God will remove the weeds from our lives, from our hearts, from our habits, from our attitudes, from our churches, and he'll reward the wheat. That's what this parable teaches us spiritually, some great spiritual concepts. Let's review them one more time, just real quick. What does the parable of the wheat and the weeds teach us? Number one, every time God is at work in our lives, so is our spiritual enemy. If your heart is soft enough for God to work, Satan's going to throw some seeds into, according to Matthew chapter 13. Every time God builds a church, Satan will build a chapel next door. Both are happening. Number two, both God and Satan work by sowing seeds in our life. God doesn't strike us by lightning and make us look just like Jesus. Satan doesn't invite us to hell, but they both plant seeds that lead to those destinations. Number three, spiritual growth takes great time. And takes great care. So we have to learn, number four, how to manage the weeds so they don't prevent the wheat, the good seeds, from bearing fruit. And we have to trust that one day God's going to remove the weeds from our life. He's going to remove the wheat of our life. And he's going to remove the weeds of our church. Our job is to focus on growing ourselves, not trying to figure out who is wheat and who are the weeds. Lots of good spiritual truth in this parable, in this comparison between the kingdom of heaven and a field that is filled with wheat and weeds. Maybe the better question for us today is, what do we do with that? What spiritual steps do we need to take now that we understand that spiritual truth about the kingdom of heaven? That's a better question. That's a deeper question. Let's try to answer it. Number two, what's the point of this parable? Okay, I get, I get, I get the parallels. I get the understanding, but what, what do I do? What are my actions as Christians We need to be active in doing two things. They are the goals of today's message. We need to learn how to water the wheat. We need to learn how to protect the promise. Because the kingdom of heaven is like a field that is filled with wheat and tares, what should I do? You got to learn to be active in watering the wheat and protecting the promise. Key action number one, watering the wheat. Here's what Jesus said in Matthew 13, 24. As he started this parable, he said something very specific. He said, Jesus told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed. If you have a pen or a highlighter, circle, underline, highlight in your, your device that you're using these two words, good seed. The kingdom of heaven is like good seed. You say, what's good seed? We actually know the answer to that. Good seed are things planted spiritually that produce spiritual fruit and they produce spiritual impact. Good things are the things that take hold of us in our heart enough to change our character and change our calling. Good seed lands and always produces change. You say, how do you know that? Because the verse before Jesus talked about good seed, he talked about good soil and what that does to a seed will again be in the parable of the sower next week. But Jesus said this in Matthew 13, 23, the seed falling on good soil refers to someone who hears the word of God and understands it. This is the one who produces a crop yielding 160 or 30 times what was sown. Good seed always grows up. And produces change in our character and change in our calling, spiritual fruit and spiritual impact. Good seed always produces a crop. Seed can never be seen once it's in the ground. A crop can never be hidden once it's above a ground. Seed is trusted. A crop is seen. It's verified. So when we talk about this phrase produces a crop, remember external spiritual change is what Jesus is talking about. 
And Jesus often referred to external spiritual change as fruit, something that can be seen, something that can be touched, something that can be experienced, something that is useful in the life of somebody else. That is external change, things that can be touched, felt, experienced, things that are useful. They're often called fruit. In Matthew 3, 8, Jesus referred to the fruit of repentance, the fruit of repentance, being able to visibly tell and experience, touch and taste that somebody is going through a change in direction in their life or in their habits. A seed has been planted, but now the fruit of repentance, the seed was I need to change the way I'm doing things. And now my life actually looks like that and others can see it and they're impacted by it. The apostle Paul talked about the fruit of the spirit in Galatians 5, 22 and 23. He said, this is a change in character. And in the character traits of a person, when Jesus is really planted in someone, we learned last night when the seed of Jesus is planted day and night, whether you're awake or asleep, working or resting, the kingdom of God is growing in you. How do you know it's in you? It begins to come, it begins to come out of you. What does it look like when it comes out of you? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Your character traits begin to change to look like Jesus. When I sat with our leaders in the room last week, I said, nothing will stretch you and stress you more than being an adult leader at youth camp. It is awesome and it is awful all at the same time. And this week, you're going to be squeezed, I promise you. Maybe all week long, you're going to be squeezed. And when you're squeezed, the students are going to watch. And here's what I want them to see. When you are squeezed, here's what I want to come out. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Prove to these students the spirit is in because when you get squeezed, let fruit juice come out. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness. When you've been on a bus for 22 hours, I promise you, you are not going to feel good. It's going to squeeze you. Let love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness come out. When you've eaten your 10th camp meal in a row, I promise you, you're not going to feel good. When you're squeezed, let love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness come out of your spirit. When kids start puking in your room for the first time, I've been at over 40 youth camps. We've never had an outbreak of kids vomiting like this week. More than 20 kids that just one after another started getting sick and throwing up in their sinks and on their floors and in their trash cans. When everyone starts puking, Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, and hand sanitizer. Like, those are the things. Those are the things we got to be squeezing out to the kids, right? We can, we can add one in there. The fruit of the Spirit is a change in the character traits of a person. The Apostle Paul in Philippians talks about the fruit of righteousness. This is actually not a change in your life, but a change in your impact on the kingdom of God through serving in evangelism. You saw in Mason Seeger on stage, one of the fruits of righteousness, his living led to somebody else saying yes to Jesus. Uh, Danielle and I yesterday got home from camp or two days ago, got home from camp and immediately headed up to Omaha, Nebraska, where my son had a college football camp that he had to go to. And as we were trying to drive through St. Joe, we realized 29 is still closed because of all the flooding there. It took us a long time to get to Omaha and back because we couldn't drive straight there. But as we saw all the fields that had been flooded, I was instantly sherry. I thought about our church up there serving and I thought, I'm so glad that these people were not left alone and that churches like ours from all over the Midwest came to help. Fruits of righteousness, things you do for others that benefit them. Jesus said, seed in leads to fruit out external change. And you say, how do I water wheat? Listen, the role of spiritual leadership where a crop is being produced is to water the wheat, to pour into these areas, fruit of repentance, fruit of the spirit, fruit of righteousness, 
If, if my teenager went to camp and I had to go to camp, I've started having these discussions with them and they came home from summer youth camp. Here are the questions I'm asking them. Ask them, where are you trying to change direction or habits based on what happened to your life? Water that wheat. Help them where they're trying to change. Ask them this question. What new character traits are you pursuing so you can look more like Jesus? Where is God said to you, you need to become more like Jesus? Water that wheat. Pour into that area. Ask them, how do you think God wants you to impact his kingdom? When do you need to be at church so you can serve? Which one of your friends are you trying to reach that we can help pick up and take home every week. Water that wheat. If you're in here and you're a Christian, you also have the responsibility of self-watering in this area. You could ask yourself these questions. Where are you trying to change direction or change habits? Water that wheat in your own life. Where do you feel a need to have a change in some character traits in your life? Water that wheat in your own life. How do you think God wants you to impact his kingdom? Water that wheat in your own life. Listen, water the wheat. If there are any good seeds that have been planted in you or in those you lead, water the wheat. If they've been planted in the life of someone you love, water the wheat. If they've been planted in your own heart, water the wheat. What do we need to do with good seeds? Three words. That you sound so excited about that. Let, let me ask you again. What do we need to do with good seeds planted? Water the wheat. Water the wheat. You know why it takes seeds so long to grow? Because sometimes churches are so lethargic, like all these seeds have been planted, and they're like, okay. Instead of running to the hose and getting a bucket and standing over and saying, I'm, I'm going to water it until it grows. I'm going to trust that it's there and I'm going to water it until it grows. We need to be enthusiastic about seeds that have been planted and we need to be encouragers by watering the wheat. Why? Because at the exact same time, weeds are growing. Water the wheat, expect the weeds to come. They've been planted too, according to the teaching of this parable. And if key action number one for our students, for ourselves spiritually, is we've got to learn how to water wheat. Key action number two is we got to learn how to protect the promise. Here's what Jesus has told us in this parable. The enemy had a chance to sow seeds because someone fell asleep spiritually. Let me ask you a question just where you're sitting when you look at that. Is that you? Are you asleep spiritually? Mom or dad, are you asleep spiritually? Husband, wife, are you asleep spiritually? Teenager, are you asleep spiritually? Grandma, grandpa, you've been asleep spiritually? Because we look at Matthew 13, 25, 13, 23, Jesus said good seed's going to have huge impact. Matthew 13, 24, he said the kingdom of heaven is filled with fields that have good seed in them. But then he says this, but while everyone was sleeping, the enemy came and they sowed seeds among the wheat and they went away. You see when the enemy works? When we fall asleep on the job. It's interesting. We don't read that the farmer did anything wrong. He just failed to do something right. He realized the soil had not been closed up. He realized the heart was still open. He realized there was still time to put anything into the soil that would produce a crop. And he wasn't vigilant and diligent enough to make sure the enemy did not sow seeds. Listen, folks, we cannot fall asleep. If you had kids come back from camp, they're fired up spiritually. You cannot sleep in this season. God's trying to do something in them. Protect that promise. We can't fall asleep at a time where God's trying to produce change in our life. You, you know God has spoken to you. This is not the time to, to sleep in a little bit or go to sleep early. You can't fall asleep when God is trying to move in your spirit. For those of us who are parents, we can't fall asleep at vulnerable times in our kids' lives. Let me say it this way. We can't sleep spiritually while our kids are between the ages of 12 and 18. We can't. We have to stay awake for that span of time. 
Because weeds will be planted between 12 and 18 that cannot be managed between 25 and 40 if we don't wake up. Jesus said to one of the churches in Revelation, wake up. Because if you sleep between 12 and 18, there's going to be weeds that are not manageable when your kids become adults. Protect the promise. If God is moving in your heart, stay alert for the enemy. He's moving to protect the promise. Say, how do we do that? Abraham gives us a great picture of that. In Genesis 15, Abraham gives us a great picture of protecting the promise. It's what I want to leave you with today. How do we protect the promise? Here's what happened in Genesis 15. Abraham was a guy who was faithfully trying to follow God. So God called him out and said, I'm going to make a nation of you. He birthed the nation of Israel from Abraham, where eventually the Messiah would come from, who would bless the entire world. But he told Abraham, it's going to start with the sincerity of your faith. And Abraham kept saying, how do, you, how do I know you, I can trust you? How do I know I can trust you? So in Genesis 15, God said, we're going to cut a covenant. It was the strongest covenant that could be made in the ancient Near East historical period. It would be like becoming blood brothers times 100. Yeah, I grew up in a redneck town before people were afraid to swap blood with each other. So like you would sit in the fort in the, in the woods and you would cut your finger and you'd have a friend cut your finger and then you'd touch them and you'd be like blood brothers. Am I the only one in this room that did that? Or yeah, so you all have heard about it. There's some rednecks in the room too. So like, you could be blood. This is like blood brothers times 100. Here's what cutting a covenant was in the ancient Near East. Each of you would bring a cow, goat, ram, dove, and a pigeon, and you would literally kill them and you would divide them in two. So one side of a cow on either side of a walkway, one side of a goat on either side of a walkway, one side of a ram on either side of a walkway. They wouldn't divide the birds. They put the dove on one side and the pigeon on the other. And then you would walk through arm in arm with the person that you were making this covenant with. And here was the symbol of the covenant. Even if it kills me, I'll keep my promise. Even if it kills me, I'll keep my promise. It was the strongest covenant in the Middle East 34, 3,500 years ago, cutting a covenant. God told Abraham, we're going to cut a covenant together. But he told Abraham, only I'm going to walk through. Because I'm the only one who's going to end up giving my life to hold up my end of the promise. My son will come and he will die. I'm going to cut a covenant that symbolizes even if it kills me, I'll keep my side of it. And one day my son will hang on the cross and it will kill him, but I will keep my side of it. But Abraham, I can't let you pass through because on your best day, you can't keep what I'm asking you to do. So here's going to be your job. Get the covenant ready and keep it ready until I can walk through. And we read in Genesis 15, 11 that here was Abraham's job, right? We live in the Midwest. We see turkey vultures picking at roadkill every now and then. As the pieces of the animals were laying there waiting for nightfall to come where God would walk through these pieces, birds of prey came down and tried to steal what God was promising Abraham. So his job was to drive away the birds. Mom and dads, those of you who are Christians just trying to grow up in your faith, what I can promise you is that when God is working, Satan is hovering and he's trying to steal every promise God gives you and fly away with it before it settles into your heart. And we have to learn for ourselves and for our kids to protect the promise. So how do we do that? We have to fight away the birds of prey. Say, how do we do that? Let me give you seven that I think are critical in your life and particularly in the life of your students that we have to keep pushing away if the promises of God are going to sink deep. Number one, what birds of prey do we need to protect our faith and our family from? Number one, old routines. In Matthew 13, we'll study it next week. Jesus said one of the greatest hindrances to walking with Jesus is being too busy. One of the greatest hindrances to walking with Jesus is not your sin, it's your schedule. 
And if you have students who cannot be involved in spiritual things because you've got them involved in 700 other things, you need to make sure old routines don't become something that steals the promise because they never have time to immerse themselves with Jesus. Number two, old relationships. In Matthew 12, Jesus told his disciples, sometimes you have to have a new spiritual family in a season if you really want to grow. In 1 Corinthians 15, he said, bad company is going to corrupt good character. Mom and dads, you know who your kids are hanging out with that are dangerous for them spiritually. You know who your kids are hanging out with that they should not be dating. You know who your kids come home high after hanging out with them and come home from doing things they shouldn't have done. Cut those relationships off. It's your job as the parent to stand in the gap and say, I'll take the bullets. You're not allowed to be with them anymore because those relationships steal God's promises in your life. Number three, old religious arguments. Sometimes we spend so much time arguing about kind of religious things that our kids never get a chance to get planted. In Mark chapter nine, Jesus comes upon a child who's having an epileptic seizure. And instead of the spiritual leaders helping him, they're arguing about some theological things. And Jesus and the boy's father said, like, does anyone care about helping the kid or are we just going to talk religion? Now, I'm not above talking religion. This week at camp, I talked religion, theology, doctrine, Bible with lots of kids in our youth group. But every time a kid would come up and ask me a question, I would let them know, hey, your question, every time you ask a religious question, it falls in one of five areas. There are things spiritually we die for, we defend, we debate, we discuss, we dismiss. Here's where that question falls for me. I'm going to discuss that with you, but I won't die for this. There, there are some I'll die for. I'll, I'll die for the fact that I believe the Bible was inspired by God and is God's authoritative word and still holds moral authority today, just like it did the day that it was written. I'll die for that. Can I get an amen? Like, am I the only, am I the only one in the room who will die for that? I will this fall take six weeks to teach a series on the Bible to help you understand why I believe that about the scriptures and why that has to be our moral compass as we head through our life to understand who God is. But I would would die for that. I'll defend all my doctrinal positions, why I believe what I believe and give you supporting scriptures. I'll debate kind of the nature of spiritual gifts, how they're used today, what those should look like publicly and privately. I'll discuss Uh, You know, maybe how my view of creation could possibly fit the scientific age of the earth. I'm not going to die for that. I wasn't there. I don't know that anyone was, but I'll discuss those things. And then I'll dismiss things. If people say, you know, I believe God spoke to me today in my bowl of Cheerios. I'll be like, listen, the only thing Cheerios can say is, oh, like, like you need, you need a cereal with more letters to have God speak to you. And you're like, there's some people that be like, man, God speaks to me through everything. It's like, oh, okay. Some, some of that I will dismiss. Talking religion is important. Until it pulls your teenager into three different churches between 6th grade and 12th grade. And they never get rooted. Because you'll die for everything. They never get to live for anything. So at some point, moms and dads, like, we, we got to figure out when to let enough be enough. And say this, uh, on the key areas that everyone would die for, we're, we're walking the same path. And my kids are really growing here. So let's not pull up roots We have to see how Satan could possibly use that negatively. We have to fight against it. We have to fight against, number four, old levels of comfortable faith. Job lived in a comfortable faith until he went through an extreme period of suffering. And after he went through an extreme period of suffering, he said this in Job 42, 5, before this, my ears had only heard about God, but now my eyes have seen him. I had to move beyond where I was, and now I have really seen God. Some of you, your kids have come home with a hotter faith than yours And to encourage them, you're going to have to drop where you are in your faith and raise to their level spiritually. You're going to have to fight against comfortable faith. You're going to have to fight against, number five, old timelines for fruitfulness. 
Well, if they still aren't on fire a week from now, nothing must have happened. A month from now, nothing must have happened. By the time school starts, nothing must have happened. If I were to last week have gone to everyone who had a student go to camp and I were to plant a seed for an oak tree in your yard, how long would you expect it to take before you saw some fruit of that? But you would know if it grows, it's going to grow deep. It's going to grow large. It's going to grow strong. A multi-generational faith takes a long time to grow. So we got to throw away our timelines for faithfulness that discard what our students have had happen to them. We have to throw away, number six, old patterns of unawareness that don't realize when God works, the enemy works. He works through sowing seeds. We can't be blind to that anymore. We have to fight against that mentality. And we have to fight against the mentality, number seven, that old folks run the church. Because in reality, we're just keeping the seats warm. And we have to be a church that realizes our greatest legacy is leaving it to the people who are in the kids' ministry and the student ministry right now. And we got to be okay to sing their music and jump around to their songs. we got to invest budget money into what they're doing. And we have to train up, disciple, equip, and then give away the most important things in our church to the next generation. we got to get away from the churches for all the old folks and the kids should just kind of, you know be seen and not heard or heard or not seen, either one of those things. We've got to realize our church really is for the next generation coming up. God's been sowing seeds this week. Church, it's time for us to water it and pray that God can let us watch it grow. Would you pray with me today? Heads are bowed and eyes are closed all over this room. Before this message, you ask God to speak to your heart, to maybe show you what you needed to hear. What did God say to you? God's been working this week. We couldn't make that happen, but we could see it. We could acknowledge it. We could celebrate it. So God, thank you. We saw what you did. And Lord, we're thrilled. We understand, Lord, that our role now is to water what you've planted. If you're here and you had a teenager in your life, come back change. Ask God to help you water the wheat in their life. If you are here and in this season of life, God has been planting seeds in you spiritually. Ask God to help you water the wheat in your life. The fruit of repentance, change in direction or habits. The fruit of the spirit, a change in character. The fruit of righteousness, a change in impact. We have to understand, moms and dads, our role is to protect the promise. Ask God to help you stay awake. If you have kids under the age of 18, ask God to help you stay awake so that you can chase away the birds of prey. If you've been growing like crazy spiritually, they're coming into your life too. Ask God to show you where the promises in your life can be stolen if you're not vigilant. God, thank you for sowing seeds this week and all the time. We acknowledge it. We'll water them if you help us. We'll stay awake and protect them if you'll help us. So God, help us do these things. And we ask them today in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen.